Matthew chapter 5. We're beginning a, a new part of this book tonight. Matthew has been introducing us into the person of Jesus. He has been introducing us into his significance, his meaning, uh, his connection to God's story that has been going since creation. And now Matthew takes Jesus' words and puts them front and center. He brings us to the teaching of Jesus. And as I've said before, there's more teaching in this gospel than any of the other four gospels that we have in the New Testament. And so Matthew wants to highlight for us Jesus' instruction for us. And so we're going to begin to look at this. This is a part of the Bible uh, that is surprisingly familiar. Um, You can talk to even non-Christians, and there will be phrases in this section of Matthew that people will know. Love love your enemy, all right? Um, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. And there's familiar instruction here, and I hope that we can hear it anew. Because so many times when those words are repeated, uh, they lose their power, they lose their strangeness. And so I hope that you'll hear familiar words tonight uh, with a new strangeness. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1 of Matthew chapter 5, and I'll read up through verse 16. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. Hear the word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we come to the words of Jesus. I pray that you would give us clarity where we are confused. I pray that you would give us 
humility where we want to resist the words found here. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears to receive your message to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not a great gift giver. One of my many weaknesses as a husband um, is that I am not good at giving gifts. And, And so I have developed a strategy to compensate for this weakness. And I call it the strategy of adjusted expectations. All right? So we're in mid-October now, and, um, and so, you know, you start to see the Christmas decorations and, and the, the commercials ridiculously early, uh, and so Christmas is coming, and so um, in, instead of, of really thinking about the gift that I'm going to give, I'm rather thinking about how can I get expectations as low as possible, all right? Oh, this year is going to be horrible. I cannot come up with anything good to give you this year. Try to lower the expectations because then maybe I can just come a little bit above the bar. As a gift. <laughs> Jesus, as he begins to teach, adjusts expectations. Now, he doesn't just lower them. He, in some ways, lowers them and raises them, as we'll see. But he adjusts expectations here in what we've read, about what it means to follow Him. What it means to belong to Him and His purposes in the world. Now remember from last week and previous weeks that Jesus is all about the kingdom of heaven. He is all about connecting heaven and earth. Taking the throne of heaven where God sits and bringing it into this world. And as he does this, bringing light to darkness, bringing life to death. And as he goes about this kingdom project, as we saw last week, he gathers a community to join him in the work of bringing light to darkness. He gathers these disciples, we call them. And as I mentioned last week, these men that he gathers around him, men and women that he gathers around him, They are the foundation of us. They are the beginning of us, the church. And Jesus, as he begins to teach in Matthew 5, he speaks, did you notice, to his disciples. He sees the crowd and he sees all the needs there. And he wants to move towards meeting those needs. But he gathers a community to join him in that movement. And so he sits down on the mountain and he begins to talk to his disciples. He begins to prepare them. He begins to prepare us to join him on his kingdom work. To know what we should expect if we are going to follow him in moving toward the needs of the world around us. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer and you're not a Christian, you don't identify yourself with Jesus, we're really happy you're here. And I want you to understand in many ways Jesus' words are to those of us who do identify with him. These are not general sort of ethical ideas. 
They are training for those who are following Jesus. And so I hope you hear something that's compelling. But know that you're kind of listening in on family talk tonight. You're listening in as Jesus addresses those who want to follow him and often fail in doing so. And I'd love to answer questions or concerns that you might have about what you hear tonight. And so feel free to come and talk to me uh, if, if you want to know more. But I want us to take some time tonight to listen to Jesus' teaching as he adjusts our expectation. And I want us to ask two questions. I want us to ask, if we belong to Jesus and his kingdom, what should we expect to happen? And secondly, if we belong to Jesus' kingdom, how should we expect that to happen? So what and how? First of all, what should we expect to happen if we're going to follow Jesus? In verses 13 to 16, Jesus gives us two images. Familiar images in the Bible. The image of salt and light. And both of these things are pictures of difference. They are pictures of distinction. Both salt and light are effective. They're powerful because they are different from what is around them. And that's what Jesus wants to emphasize with these pictures of of the community that he wants to shape and that he wants to gather. He wants to show that it is necessary for the community that belongs to him to be distinctive, to be different. And if they are not, then they will be useless. So he sets up the expectation that his people will be strange in some way but not weird for weirdness's sake, right? Weird on purpose. Different for a goal. Look at verse 16 again. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? I want you to be different. I want you to be distinct. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father in heaven. Jesus creates a distinct community so that He can draw people's attention to His Father. So that He can draw people's attention to the power and the goodness of God. So the purpose of Jesus' kingdom is to bring heaven to earth. And the purpose of His community is to bring earth to heaven. The purpose of this distinct community is to attract people to the one who sits on the throne of heaven. He is shaping this community through his teaching so that the world can understand what it means to belong to God's authority. My wife and and I have friends in Africa who are working with an organization that is trying to change the way farming is done. They're trying to introduce uh, better methods of growing food um, so that it, they can deal with some of the hunger problems that we all have seen on the news in, in certain places of Africa. And, and they, so they are bringing better methods of using water and land to produce more food. And when they started this work, they were very frustrated because they were traveling all around 
uh, a certain country and going to different villages and communities and doing trainings, doing seminars on these different farming methods. And it was completely ineffective. Didn't work at all. The people heard it and were very polite and said, thank you, this was wonderful. This was life-changing. And then nothing changed. And so they adjusted their strategy. And, and what they're doing now, which has been more, much more effective, is they take one village and they come in and they spend all of their time and all of their resources in training this village in these different farming methods and in creating a different way of growing food in one village. And they spend lots and lots of time developing that. And they don't go to all these other places. They stay in one place for a long time to really see change in this community. And then what they do is they take other villages and say, hey, come here, look. See how this works. See how these methods are better than what you are currently doing. See how these methods produce more food, provide for this community in a better way. They create model villages. This is what Jesus is doing in us. This is what Jesus is doing with Center Point Church. Is he is creating a model village for the world. Not a perfect community but a tangible expression of what it means to live in response to heaven's throne. Of what it means to live under the life-giving authority of God. With us, with the church, he is saying, here is a new way of being human that is made possible by God's kingdom work through Jesus Christ. It is made possible by my Father is, who is in heaven. And He does this so that the world can see and celebrate the beauty and the power of God. This is so important for us because the community around us, when we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about the authority of God, those are scary words. Authority is frightening when someone else has it, right? <laughs> we have all experienced someone with power who has abused the power that they have. We see it throughout history. We see it in our own experience. And so when people hear us say authority, that's not very attractive. And so what Jesus does is he comes inside his community, the church, to say, authority, yes, but look at what it produces. Light, salt. Look at the beautiful thing that God is creating in his church. This is why we're here. We are not here to attract people to Center Point Church. We are here to attract people to our Father who is in heaven. And when we lose sight of that, we lose the connection between distinctiveness and attraction. And this happens so often in the church. When we lose sight of the goal of attracting people to our Father who is in heaven, we go one way or the other. So we go attraction. And if it's not about God, it's about us. And so the goal becomes to attract people to us. And how do we attract people to us? Well, we become as like them as we can. 
even to the point of setting aside the distinct truth claims of our faith. To just come be a part of us. We're really just like you. And it becomes all attraction, and it becomes about an attraction to us rather than an attraction to our Father who is in heaven. Or we go all distinction, and we say, all right, we're supposed to be different. I don't like the way these people live all around me, and so I'm going to take my cultural preferences, and I'm going to make those what it's about. It's not about being distinct in the way God designs us to be distinct. It's about being distinct in the way that I want to be distinct or the way my tradition or my family wants me to be distinct. I saw this happen when we lived in Malawi. Um, There's a history, of of course, of Christian missionaries and so much good uh, that Christian missionaries have done uh, in that area of Southeast Africa. And but they, they made a mistake in the area of distinction. And their culture had all sorts of baggage connected to dancing. And they came into a culture whose community life was, is so deeply tied to dancing that you cannot separate the two. And they came in and said, Jesus, and if you follow Jesus... You have to be distinct. And what does it mean to be distinct? It means no dancing. So you see what they've done? They've taken a cultural expectation. And they said, hey, we're supposed to be different. But it's not about attracting to our Father in Heaven. It's about attracting people to our cultural tradition and our cultural taboos. And so Jesus calls us to this goal of bringing people to our Father in Heaven through Yes, differences, but differences for the purpose of inviting the world around us into the life-giving presence of our God. How does that happen? Our second question, right? That's what we should expect to happen if we're going to follow Jesus. We should be expect to be the light of the world, to be distinctly attractive, to the world around us. But how does that happen? How should we expect that to come about? How do we become this model village that Jesus wants to make of us? How do we become salt and light? Well, it happens when we reflect the characteristics that we find at the beginning of our text. So the end of our text, we find what we should expect to happen, salt and light. The beginning of our text is how we should expect it to happen. So Jesus lists all of these different types of people, right? Different characteristics, different virtues, we could even say. And, you know, we could take a lot of time and talk about each of these. Um, and there are, there are beauties there. There are, there are powerful truths in each of these types and characteristics that Jesus lists for us. Um, I'm going to choose not to do that for the sake of time and, uh, and for the sake of continuing to move uh, through this book. But, but I want you to see that this list that Jesus gives is encapsulated by the first part of the list. The first virtue of the list, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. I propose that that's what the whole list is about. There is a paraphrase of this verse that says, Blessed are those who know their need for God. 
And that's it. That is this list. These are people who know their need for God. Jesus describes those who have experienced need and have directed their need towards His Father in heaven. And and they know their need for God, not in the sense that they know the right answer to the question on the test, but they know their need for God in that they know what you're talking about. They have experienced it. They feel it. And so you have those who have experienced the deep sadness and brokenness of the world, and they mourn. And they know their need for the comfort that only God can bring. You have those who know the vulnerability of living in the world, and so they are meek. And they turn to God for protection and strength. They have known the injustice of the world, the unrighteousness, the wrongness of the world. And so they hunger and they thirst for the righteousness of God. They know their own need for mercy. And they look for God's mercy and showing others mercy. They know the purity of their desire for God. They know the world's need for peace. They are persecuted. They know the need for vindication. The need to be shown that they are in the right. And Jesus congratulates all these type of people. He says, blessed. Each, with each one of this, which are surprising. It's, it's surprising, isn't it? Because th- this is not the happiest group of people on the world, in the world, right? They're mourning. They're poor. They're hungry. And Jesus congratulates them all, and that's what this word blessing means. It's not the typical word blessing that we find in the Bible, but it simply means good for you. Good for you. You're poor. Good for you. You are in mourning. Good for you. You're hungry. Why does Jesus give his congratulations to these people? Well, he does so because they get what they need. Right? They are poor in spirit. So what do they get? The kingdom of heaven. They are full of sadness and mourning. So what do they get? They get the comfort of God. And there's a present future dimension here. And so Jesus is saying, if you are in this list, you will begin to receive God's gift now and it will continue into the future. But He says, if you know your need for God, then you will get it. Verse 8, the pure in heart will, will get what? They will see God. Now, how, how does this happen in us? I mean, I mean are we to go around and, and scare up some persecutors, right? Are we to, to act in a way that, that creates animosity with the community around us? Do we have to work up poverty of spirit? Do we have to create hunger inside ourselves? Well, no. Look at verse 11 once again with me. Jesus transitions from the list and He looks at His disciples and He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? On my We don't create these characteristics in us. They are created when we follow Jesus. 
When we trust in Him, when we follow Him, when we seek to obey Him, He Himself will reveal our need for God. He will create the awareness of our need if we follow Him, if we trust Him, if we seek to obey Him. And it is through this community of needy people that God displays His kingdom, His justice, His power, His mercy, His love. We look at this list and we think, oh, these are nice people. Blessed are the meek. It's become a familiar phrase, right? And it kind of takes on this connotation of, oh, oh, they're so nice. They're well-liked by the people around them. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying these are nice people. He is saying these are powerful These are the people through whom God is transforming the world. People who know their need for God. I drove by the Capitol on my way to the office. I think it was Friday. And and there was a big sign out front that said, Occupy Tallahassee. And it had all sorts of like, you know, anti sort of down with capitalism and those sorts of things. So there's this big sign, and out in front of the sign was one guy. And, and he was all scraggly, and he had this big beard way down to here, and, and I didn't have to smell him to know he probably hadn't showered in a, a, a while. And, uh, and so he's out in front of the sign all by himself, occupying Tallahassee, right? And he's out there yelling and screaming his message. And, and I laughed. Because it just seems so ridiculous. This sort of world-transforming slogan. Occupy. And then this one stinky guy out in front of the sign. It didn't seem to fit the world-changing slogan and very unimpressive image. And then it struck me. That's us. (laughs) That's the church. That's center point. World-changing slogan, light of the world, kingdom of heaven. Very unimpressive image. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Needy people. People who are full of their need for God. And those are the people through whom God changes the world. Those are the people through whom Jesus does His kingdom work. And we as the church and as individuals have a choice to make. And this is a choice between being impressive or God. Do we want to be impressive or do we want God? Is it, more, is, is it our ultimate goal to have a measure of human success and effectiveness? Or to have the kingdom of heaven come through us? Let's move towards knowing our neediness. Our need for God. Because that's where He meets us. He meets us in our need for Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't just reveal our need for God. He takes on that need. 
He takes on our poverty. He takes on our hunger, our pain, our sadness. He takes it on in His life and in His cross so that He can give us the satisfaction and the strength and the joy of His Father. Let's know our need for God because that's where He meets us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is a much better gift giver than I am. He, he looks to us, those of us who trust Him, those of us who believe Him, those of us who seek to follow, uh, follow Him, and He gives us the kingdom of heaven. Way better than I can do. And as He does that, as He gives us that through faith, He adjusts our expectations. And He shows us that in our need, He will reveal God's glory. Let's pray.